Hey everyone, welcome back. Before we get into the stories, I need to give a few warnings. Story number two actually mentions murder, and story number three mentions sexual abuse. I'll also have those warnings in the timestamps below in the pinned comment. All that being said, let's go ahead and begin on these stories. And remember to always stay hungry. In the late 90s and early 2000s, my grandfather was a police officer. We live in a small town where not much goes on. The occasional drug bust, but nothing ever this crazy. My grandfather was on patrol when he noticed a vehicle swerving and driving recklessly. He turned on his lights and pulled the van over. When he approached the window, he stated his name and why he pulled the two Hispanic men over. He then told them that they were driving recklessly and they also had a brake light out. When he told them this, the passenger of the vehicle spoke up and he asked if he could open the rear hatch and see if he could fix the light. My grandfather being a mechanic agreed to look at it, but said that he first needed to run the driver's license and insurance. When he stated the name of the driver to dispatch, the woman on the other end very frantically said to stay in your vehicle until backup arrives. A few minutes later, backup arrived and they searched the vehicle. The two men were brought out of the back and both were armed with shotguns. He didn't see them because they had blocked the windows on both sides of the van. It turned out that they were transporting drugs down from Mexico into the States. I will be leaving out some specific details such as exact dates, names, and locations to protect both mine and my family's privacy. Also, I simply don't know every specific detail and circumstance, as the story isn't mine specifically. It's actually my dad's from before I was born back when he was a young cop, and he doesn't talk about it or really any of his stories very much. He shared some of his experiences with me almost a decade ago after I'd gotten back from my first deployment and he hasn't talked about it much since. I can safely say that he wouldn't mind me sharing the story as long as I keep certain personal details private, because it may help people better understand the nature of things many of those in law enforcement have to deal with. I'll share just this one for now, and maybe in the future I'll share some more either from his or my own experiences. Also, please note that I put this together from not just what I remember my dad telling me, but also from local newspaper articles, as well as some of his old cassette tapes that contain the radio transmissions from that night. With that being said, here's a little background info. Like I said, my dad served as a police officer for nearly 30 years. During that time, he did everything from being a regular beat cop to SWAT slash SRT, including as a sniper or sharpshooter, as some call it working undercover with the drug task force as well as some other things. This particular story takes place back in the early 90s late at night in the rural Midwest. I'm talking about a town with a few thousand people surrounded by rural farmland and a few even smaller towns of a couple hundred. As many of you who are from such areas know everybody knows everybody and a lot of meth is made and distributed in places like this due to the seclusion and abundance of the chemicals needed for its manufacture. This area was no different. In particular, there were two brothers that were heavily involved in the local meth trade. 
For the sake of this story, I'll call them John and Mike Smith. Over the years, John especially developed a reputation for violent behavior, and he probably suffered from some sort of mental illness as well. In addition to dealing meth, he was known to beat and verbally abuse his girlfriend, and at one point held some members of his family at gunpoint and threatened to kill himself. Both brothers were constantly in and out of jail, and at the time of this story were both on probation, and one of the stipulations was that they weren't allowed to be around each other. At some point, one of them had acquired a Tech-9 pistol. The rumor around town was that they had illegally filed down the sear so that the pistol could fire full auto. Also, a couple of days prior to the story taking place, Mike had bought several rounds of 9mm from a local sporting goods store. Now, the night of the story, my dad was out on patrol on his motorcycle. Earlier, they had gotten reports that John and Mike were out and about driving around together. As I mentioned earlier, they weren't supposed to be together. Well, at some point that night, my dad does indeed spot them driving around together, and he proceeds to call it in and attempts to pull them over. As soon as he lights them up, though, these two take the fuck off and he gives chase. During the chase, my dad actually sounded pretty calm over the radio as he relayed the situation. He chased them to Mike's house, and the two got out of the car and tried to run inside. John made it up the front porch and in the front door. Mike, however, wasn't as fast, and my dad was able to grab Mike on the front porch before he could get inside. My dad is behind Mike trying to subdue him, and they're fighting on the front porch. John then comes back out the front door holding the Tech-9. At this point, both the sides of my dad's and Mike's bodies are facing John. John then pointed the gun at my dad's head. Luckily, he sees John out of the corner of his eye, as well as the muzzle of the gun, maybe just over a foot from his head. Without thinking, just completely on instinct, my dad is able to turn Mike in front of John, ducking his head behind Mike's body, pulling out his pistol, aims it over Mike's shoulder, and then quickly squeezes a round off towards John. John immediately collapsed to the ground, and my dad was able to take Mike to the ground and cuff him. My dad radioed shots fired, and that one suspect was now down. I remember that he sounded out of breath, and he wasn't yelling or even freaking out into the radio, but that he was talking louder, and you could tell he was stressed out for lack of better terms, but still kept his composure. Soon, backup arrived, and of course, being a shooting in a small town, it didn't really take long for word to get around. John's family tried to claim my dad had murdered him, and of course, the entire incident had to be investigated. During the investigation, one of John's friends tried to claim that he saw my dad drunk at the local bar bragging about how he shot John. The thing is, everyone that knew my dad knew that he didn't even drink and had actually never drank in his life. In fact, it was a joke among his friends that they loved to jokingly give him crap about it every so often. Plus, no one corroborated the story, so that claim didn't hold any water. After the investigation, the shooting was found to be indeed justified. Of course, John's friends and family didn't like that. I suppose it's hard to accept sometimes that the people you care about aren't always the greatest of people and bring their own demise on themselves. Maybe it's easier to live in denial. I don't know. I'm not them and I haven't lived the same lives and experiences that they have. Hell, like I said, I wasn't even alive at the time this all went down. Regardless, they decided to order and give out some bumper stickers that said, 
Remember John Smith, and the local paper released an article about the investigation finding the shooting to be justified. In the article, they had a picture of both my dad and John. Both of them were in their late 20s at the time. My dad is six foot four tall with the classic cop mustache, and at the time, he was around 220 pounds of muscle. He had always had a passion for fitness and was a former state champion high hurdler, and he received a full-ride D1 track scholarship before becoming a police officer. The paper made sure to use a picture of him in uniform that of course not only highlighted all of those physical characteristics, but also showed him with the most serious facial expression they could find. John, on the other hand, was average height, probably around 5'10 or so. Even though like my dad, he was in his late 20s, since he had used meth and other drugs most of his life, he was very thin with emaciated skin. He had unkempt matted oily hair, most of his teeth were either gone or rotted out, and he usually looked dirty and disheveled. The paper, of course, made sure to use his old high school senior picture, taken around a decade prior with him smiling so happily. Mike ended up going to prison. Years later, after he got out, he said he was going to kill my dad and then himself. However, he died of a heart attack or something, and he never made good on his threat. My dad retired from the force after almost 30 years. For a few years afterward, he seemed kind of bummed out. Even though he didn't like the internal politics of being a police officer, he loved the job itself. He eventually moved to a new city, and today he works at a halfway house where he serves as a counselor and he runs a program for veteran residents with PTSD. Since he started doing that, you can really tell that he got his sense of purpose back. He says that his favorite part is not only seeing their progress, but overcoming the inevitable setbacks along the way. Many of them still come to talk to him years later and thank him for seeing the potential in them when no one including themselves ever did, as well as giving them the tools to help them turn their lives around. I've even met some of them myself and they've told me similar things. You can tell the residents there seem to have a certain respect for him and a few of the other people who work there sort of like a father figure or an older sibling that they never had kind of vibe. What's really interesting is he said if it wasn't for his time and experience as a cop, he wouldn't have been able to relate to and understand many of the people he counseled. When he was a rookie cop, his field training officer told him, most of the so-called bad people you'll have to deal with throughout your career are actually really good people who just made some really bad decisions. You will encounter people that are truly evil, but they are the exception, not the rule. He said that really stuck with him, and he always reminds himself of that. Stay safe out there, everyone. When I was in high school, I discovered a stolen car which I reported to the police, and it could have led to something worse. Every day when I got home from school, I would head upstairs and use the bathroom up there since my room was up there as well. Being on the second floor, I never had a shade or curtain on this bathroom window. It was a routine I would just do without giving it much thought. I would go up, do my business, and glance out at the window. From the window, I could see the backyard and over our fence to a parking lot of some nearby apartments. One day, when I happened to glance out the window, I noticed a car sitting at the far end of the parking lot with the driver's side window down. This was odd to me as it had just snowed heavily the night before, 
and the snow covered the car completely except for the open window. I laughed to myself, thinking maybe it was just an older car and the window was either broken or didn't work, or someone who parked it there might have been drunk and forgot to roll it up. Many thoughts went through my mind about all the possible reasons it would be wide open like that during the winter. I eventually put it out of my mind. After several days, I noticed the car hadn't moved and the window was still open. I sensed something was off, and I had the idea the car had been stolen and dumped there. Deciding to be a good Samaritan, I wrote down the make, model, and license plate number, and I brought it to my high school police liaison officer. The office of the liaison officer was nothing more than a custodian's closet with a windowed door. The window had been covered in black construction paper for privacy of the students or staff that needed to discuss matters with the officer. When I brought the information about the car to him, I remembered having to wait, as he was in some meeting with a student at the time, and he didn't answer my knocks. I had to go to my class, so I handed the information off to a friend who said they could get it to the officer later on. Later that day, I was called to the foyer and I was met with a liaison officer and a uniformed officer. It turned out the car was reported stolen, and the uniformed officer was there so that I could go with him to show him where the car was. I was excused from school, and I rode with the officer to my neighborhood, and then showed him the car. After filling out my information with the officer, I was then brought back to school by the police liaison officer who met up with us later. This is when things could have gone bad for me. For some background context, I'll tell you that I've always had some suspicions about the liaison officer. Well, before I brought the stolen car information in, I witnessed the school's officer being overly friendly with students, and many liked him and joked around with him. He would say things like, If you went camping and woke up with your butt hurting, would you tell anyone? At this point and other so-called jokes, Students who really liked him would laugh him off like he was just one of the guys joking around and having a good time, even if the jokes were inappropriate. I just felt there was something off about him, but since many students liked him and seemed to vouch for him, I shrugged it off. So, what do you have planned this weekend? He asked me when driving me back to school. I remember being nervous, as I'm usually a shy person, and I gave him a serious but ridiculous answer. I told him I was getting an oil change done on my car. He laughed at this, and he said I must have more fun things planned other than that. I laughed too, but I didn't really have any plans that weekend, and I didn't elaborate. He then offered to buy me lunch from a fast food place a block away from school many high schoolers like to flock to when they have off-campus lunch. At the time, I thought it was maybe some kind of reward for finding the stolen car and reporting it. I think that he was trying to groom me with the offer of food and being friendly that day. Several months after reporting the car, news broke out that the liaison officer had been caught sexually abusing a couple of male students on campus. Word had gotten out that he had paid the students to do sexual acts and that there were VHS tapes involved. I heard he had tried to hand over the evidence to his brother to destroy, but his brother looked at one of the tapes and then immediately turned him over to the authorities. Regardless of the facts, he was found guilty of several counts of sexual abuse and sentenced to prison. My instincts of being suspicious of him were right. Thinking back on the car ride to school with him, I can't help but think that he would have done something to me. What if he did try something and I refused? Would he have threatened to arrest me or something? 
Blame the stolen car on me? Force me to do something at gunpoint? The black construction paper over the window of his office door might have been put up to hide the criminal acts happening on the other side. In any case, I'm glad that nothing ever happened to me. I feel bad for the students who were abused, and I really hope they're doing okay these days. This goes to show that sometimes you never really know a person, and sometimes people that are supposed to protect you are just not as they seem. I'm a female, and all this happened when I just graduated from college and moved to France to work. I didn't know the language, and I worked night shifts in an international hotel in one of the safest areas of the city I lived in. On one night, I had to borrow a car while mine was in the shop being repaired. The only available replacement car was a white van, like the ones used for moving or that the post delivery drivers have. Thinking nothing of it, I took it and I made my way to work. That night went smoothly, and nothing was amiss. However, on my way home, I saw flashing blue lights behind me. As I mentioned, I live in a safe area, so I just guessed that my van had a broken light or something. Odd for a replacement car, but it happens, I guess. I got pulled over just before a residential area, meaning we were still in the darkness aside from a street lamp very far away. As a new driver and eager to obey the law, I opened my window fully and took out my driver's license while I waited on the police officer to come to me. However, the man who approached me was wearing civilian's clothing. I guessed he was just an officer out of his uniform and greeted him politely. This man seemed surprised to see me, and he didn't identify himself. Huge red flag, I know. But back then, I was really naive and stupid. He said something in French, but I unfortunately didn't understand, and I asked him if he knew English. He repeated himself, and he asked where I was headed. I assumed this was a generic question, and I answered I was heading home. He then asked where I lived and seemed even more surprised to hear the location as I lived quite far away from my workplace. He then questioned about where I worked as well, seeming a little nervous. I answered, thinking I was complying with the law. The whole interaction didn't even take two minutes, so of course I didn't think that his questions were inappropriate. He didn't even ask to see my license, and he fell silent for a moment, before poking his head through my driver's window and looking behind me at the empty van. He seemed unsettled by the lack of discovery of anything suspicious, and he just told me to go home. On the ride back, I thought he was an undercover cop that was probably on the lookout for a similar looking car, and he thought he had found it. Now, this situation seemed normal in my mind for a while, and I thought nothing of it, until one day I was telling my coworkers about my experience and laughing. They stared me dead in the eye and told me that white vans were usually used by prostitutes, and they offered their services in the back. The man that stopped me might have been a cop, but he might have been a man pretending to be a cop, seeking to take advantage of a sex worker. But when he saw that I didn't speak any French and that I didn't match the usual description of one of them, he took a peek into my van to double check, and then seeing that there was no mattress back there, he backed off. Needless to say, I was terrified. He really could have been a cop, but I can't help but wonder what would have happened if he wasn't, and if he really did want to take advantage of some poor girl. 
I no longer open my windows entirely whenever I'm pulled over, and I make sure the person stopping me is actually a police officer before engaging in conversation, and I no longer drive a white van. Hey everyone, that's about it for today's stories. If you have your own story that you would like to send, you can send it in at southerncannibal.com or you can email it at southerncannibalstories at gmail.com. I look forward to telling your story. Have a good night or good day, everyone. And remember, to always.